The Start On Demand. On demand. Today, we continued our global news health series on mental health during COVID 19. And we talked about how we are hardwired to be with other people. It's actually in our DNA, and we are fighting that by staying home and staying away from people. So, Tristan Field Jones put together a feature on that. And then we have a follow up conversation with psychologist Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. Tax season is fast approaching, and it's bound to be. A rather unique year for tax returns with so many people working from home. What can you claim from working from home? And what if you needed CERB or other government assistance? What are you going to have to pay back? And 35% of Canadians have learned a new recipe during the pandemic. Have you? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, February 3rd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are hardwired for connection. That's what Carolyn Clausen, Connexus Counseling, says. She speaks to Hal Anderson every Thursday afternoon, 2.30. And today, that is going to be the focus of the Global News Health Series that we're doing for the next couple of weeks on mental health. Tristan Field-Jones at 7.45 has put together a feature on how we actually are as human beings hardwired for connection and he's going to tell us about the biology behind that and you know i'm i'm thankful greg that uh, our job we get paid to come into work and connect with thousands of manitobans every day it's a privilege it's a real gift loren and let me tell you uh, there's probably without this component and that component of this job and what we do and let's face it it's a way of life it's not really a job without that ability to connect and that satisfaction and also the stress that comes along with it there's absolutely no way I would get up in the middle of the night to do the work that we do because it's it's an honor it's a privilege to be able to connect with people the way we do and it it is it's almost it's almost that fire of life. It, it, it is the driving force behind what we do to not overly romanticize it. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, it's not just about the fact right now that we can't visit like we normally would. We're very conscious of our behavior in terms of hugging. I Kids were down at the pond skating the other day, and I ran into someone I hadn't seen in, honestly, seven months. And it, it, my instinct still was like, ah, like to go in for that <laughs> hug. And you're, you're, you're controlling yourself so much in all your movements now, and you're really conscious of your behavior. And so even when you are socially connecting in a socially distanced way, it, it feels off. And so I think that's really hard for so many of us as this goes on. And then I'm noticing also different things like yesterday, for example, we had a meeting over Zoom, 2 p.m. That's late for people like us who start our jobs in the middle of the night. We're all on it. And I enjoyed being on it because I was like, oh, good. I get to see people. And I've even gone to the point where I've asked people to turn their cameras on in different meetings I've been involved in because I just want to see faces i want to feel some sort of connection and it's weird to not have it as usual right now and i would honestly say i'm a person that would have said i'm fine with that <laughs> 10 months ago and i realize i'm not yeah when I, I i will admit that when i got that notification yesterday as i was trying to figure out how to access my new television um I, I, i'm i'm sitting there and i see the the notification that the meeting's coming up and of course my first reaction was oh man <laughs> but uh, i was happy to to be a part of that meeting for a couple of reasons one um jeff courier's beard is majestic right now it's like, an ecosystem all on its own <laughs> <laughs> like he looks like he's ready to jump off a boat with a dragon at the front of it and start raiding some country in the western lands like he looks like he belongs on vikings on history uh it's just truly remarkable but yeah it was just fun we actually joked around and stuff and uh because it looked like it was it, the meeting almost ended at two ten, and then we just started started chatting and joking and and uh so i was happy to to log into that and you're right loren it was it felt like we were just kind of hanging out with our friends at work with whom we haven't seen like i haven't seen you in months i even said in <laughs> I suggested to you to just telling the listeners. I suggested, can we train Lorena in the control room just so we can see her? 
again? Forte would have to sit by my side for days on end if that was the case, and he doesn't need that kind of hassle. But yeah, I, I just, you know, I think this is a great series that we're focusing on because it's impacting our mental health, and everyone feels differently about this. You can say you don't need it, but I'm, what Tristan has come up with in terms of his interviews with different experts is that you can say what you want, but we are hardwired for it. So we'll have more with his piece at 745. And coming up, oh, sorry, Greg, go ahead. No, I just wanted one terminology or two that I never, ever imagined having to look up or become part of the, the conversation of the vernacular is uh, skin, hunger, and touch deprivation. Something that we're talking about now and something that a lot of people are going through. And uh, this notion of feeling isolated and feeling lonely is one thing, but just that absence of maybe holding somebody's hand or, or like you said, Loren, that, that desire to go in for the hug, it, it's something that we absolutely crave and so many of us are missing out on right now. I think one thing most of us do not crave is, uh, is actually fast approaching. Tax yeah. season. <laughs> We're talking taxes worst today. Time of the year. <laughs> it really is. Honestly, every single year at tax time. And I don't do anything. Bes- I just I have one in- the one income. I'm- I don't have anything extra to stress about. It's probably the easiest return to file. And every year I just sit there waiting like, well, there's going to be a letter coming. I just know it. I just know this year they're going to say something. I don't like something and I'm going to get dinged for something that I didn't expect. And so there's added stresses this year as a result. Yeah. So we're going to be talking today about taxes, claiming ta- taxes specifically during COVID because so many of us have been working from home. So how does that work in terms of like, what can you claim? You know, that you're, you're now using your home as your office in many cases. So that... I would assume uh, it, it entitles you to claim some of that, but how do you do it, right? So, sounds like there's a couple different ways that you can go. They seem to be putting in a fixed amount per day for you working from home, or if you want to go a little more complicated and calculate the size of your, your office space and then a percentage of perhaps your taxes, your mortgage, and, and people who have small businesses are used to that. But if you're just working from home and now all of a sudden realizing that your phone bill or not, now well, probably not your phone bill isn't changing very much, but uh, your water bill is probably going up, your electricity bill is probably gone up, and a variety of other expenses have gone up. you your internet maybe. You right. have to have new expenses for equipment, which I know you can't claim with CRA, but you're, at, you're spending more money for sure in right. different ways saving it too but yeah but there's a, there, there there's going to be a mechanism for you to to try and get some of that back you, you might be saving your money I, I i haven't done so well on that <laughs> front but we'll just leave that to the side Yesterday marked Manitoba's lowest daily COVID-19 count since October 19th with 83 new cases reported and just 18 in Winnipeg And so this morning, we're waiting to see if that trend of those lower numbers will continue with health officials saying that it's a sign that restrictions are working. But again, as they've said for months now, Manitobans need to remain vigilant. So Global's Brittany Greenslide breaks down some of the numbers for us. Health officials are remaining cautiously optimistic on the path the province is on. Things are are, uh, improved for sure. Uh, uh, we, we still need that trend to continue. I mean, uh, we still want to keep our hospitalization numbers down. We still have 254 people in hospital right now. Winnipeg's test positivity rate is nearly a third of what it was just a few weeks ago. And while it's a significant improvement, it's still too high. Dr. Jazz Atwal says now is not the time to let your guard down. Continue to listen to that public health messaging. Again, if you need to go out, send out one person. Uh, if you have to wait in line to get into someplace, ensure you are distanced. New public health orders have been in place for less than two weeks, allowing retailers and services to open. Many have seen long lineups and hundreds of people flocking to stores. Atwal warns we could quickly lose all ground we've made. We need to keep our case counts down. You know, only go out for those things that you need. Uh, if you don't need to go to a mall, don't go to a mall. If you don't need to go to the store, don't go to the store. You know, um, just because it's open doesn't mean you should go or, or, or you have to go. The doctor says it's too soon to say what, if any, other restrictions will be lifted when this order expires. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. So I think we'd all be forgiven if it, you sort of feel like these numbers are assigned. We should be moving to another level of reduced restrictions come February 12th. Or Loren, does this point to the fact 
as Dr. Atwell said in Brittany's report there, that what we're doing is working and, and maybe we just need to be just a little more patient and keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, I don't feel when I hear that, that sense of, oh, good, soon we'll see some change or restrictions lift. I, I hear it's a slow and steady slug or race or, you know, whatever cliche, a marathon, not a sprint. Like, that's what I hear. And I was saying to you guys earlier in the text exchange that I really, at 1230 now, I've gone from being acutely aware of what's going on in and around that hour and planning my entire day around making sure I listen to those news conferences because I want to be up on the latest to sometimes just giving myself a break and putting it aside, maybe not even checking the numbers right away, maybe even for a few hours because uh, uh, the numbers have started to, I don't want to say they've blurred for me. They've, they've just gone up and down so much and I've had all those highs and lows and I'm someone who's it's been through this without any serious ramifications. You know, I'm working from home and that's it. There's been no change to my life. And so I'm blessed. And so I know there are other people who might be way more tense when they see them because they so much is riding on maybe their business reopening. And when is that going to happen? And if I run a gym or I'm a photographer or all these other people who can't get back to work for me, seeing them just makes me feel like I'm on this roller coaster. And sometimes I just want to say, uh, tell me when we're at the point when we don't have to talk about these again, and then I might start to feel some optimism. So for me, it's just kind of put my head down and wait. Yeah, and it's also, I think there's some optimism in the fact that we're seeing places like Alberta getting ready to make some big changes with their reopening, with some modifications in restaurant dining, and even some gyms going to reopen on Friday. So that kind of plants a seed of hope that maybe we'll see that here soon. Like, Greg, our level red restrictions go until, what, February 12th? I believe that's the 12th, yes, that we determined that those uh, restrictions in their current form are extended to. So, yeah, when we look around and we see, and I, I think it's human nature, I think it's become a part of what we do uh, over this past 11, 12 months is we're comparing uh, numbers in other jurisdictions and we look at the actions they take as either validation for our hope and wish to do the same thing or maybe the trepidation that goes with it. Oh, are you guys sure you want to do that right now, Alberta? Because Alberta certainly has had a, a couple of false starts and I, I know some people that live out there that they're concerned that they're they're heading towards another one of those. And that's the words you just used there. Sorry, Brett, the false start, right? I think that's part of my reason for not being overly optimistic or optimistic at all. Just you feel like you've gotten to that line before and then the gun fires and someone says, nope, get back. You went too soon. So I, I'll wait. Here's the headline from our friend Sylvain Charlebois. He's the food professor over at Dalhousie University. He says a new report suggests 35.5% of Canadians have learned at least one recipe since the start of the pandemic. And producer Jeff Fortier in Master Control, I seem to recall you saying early on in the pandemic that you were going to use this time to uh, learn some recipes, teach yourself how to cook. How's that gone for you? Yeah, I'm not one of those percentages. <laughs> it didn't happen. No? You know, I when I was thinking about this, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about so many, so many excuses why I didn't do it. But you know what? It just comes down to I'm lazy. That's it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I, I wanted to learn how to make lasagna, for example. Well, there's a restaurant uh, that I go to, uh, The Grove. They are doing take and bake stuff. And they, I can get a lasagna there for $15. So mind you, it's, it's like a single serving, so it's good for a night where you make a lasagna that'll feed you for days, I imagine, if you're, it's just one person. But for 15 bucks, you know, it's probably way cheaper than going out and buying all the ingredients, and I don't, there's no time put into it. So yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm no lazy. No mess. I'm lazy. Don't have to do dishes. Oh, it's, it's just easier. Yeah, I hear you. What about uh, you, Cameron Poitras? Uh, well, I'm kind of at a, at a crossroads here in, in, in my life. I'm in a kind of a tough place. Um, so my fiance, she's vegetarian and she's also Jewish and I'm Jewish too now. I converted. So Converted? Yes. Converted. Yeah. So uh, I, I have to now eat kosher and you can't mix milk and meat. So now I'm in the process of trying to figure out how I can still make all my favorites and still enjoy them 
and you'd still follow all these 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 new rules. So like with butter chicken, I'm gonna have to ditch the chicken because I would rather have like the the delicious sauce with the cream and the butter. So I'm thinking like I gotta add chickpeas in there with like cauliflower. How am I gonna eat shepherd's pie? I like to have you know I like to put Parmesan cheese in my mashed potatoes on my shepherd's pie. That's more important. So I have to figure out the tofu situation with that or some other sort of meat substitute. Man, uh, cheese wins in your life right now. Well, hey, it's yeah, all about the cheese and the sauce. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, and like, and I, I'm worried. Like, I love Hutterite soup, and I make that all the time. It's like I've had it my whole life. My mom's family are are, are ex Hutterites, and so like now I have to make two different broths when I make borscht and canadal or gashtel or or dumplings or strunkel. I got to have one with vegetable broth, and I got to have another with chicken broth. You're giving me anxiety just yeah, listening like to you. It's, it's, it's a li- yeah, it's, it's, this is what I'm going through in my life. Every time I'm making a meal now, I'm trying to figure out how am I going to make this work in my next life when me and my fiance get married and we end up living together and all that other stuff. Wow. So, so this, like, is in you, 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 this is, you're making it for like a, a version of it for her and yes, a version of it for yourself. Yes, exactly. But like, try to make, I'm not, I don't want to make two different things all the time, right? So I have to figure out most of the time I got to make one thing, which is, of course, means that I have to be vegetarian for the most part, which I'm not that crazy about. I love steak. I love chicken and stuff like that. And uh, now I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, and it's much more expensive, the kosher version of it, uh, because it's there's no there's no fresh butcher here. I know the Jewish community is no, well knows this very well. There's no fresh uh, kosher meat here in the city anymore, so you got to get it frozen, and it's more expensive. But I have to have a steak every now and then. I just I just absolutely have to. So this is this is this is my life right now. This is what I this is where I get my anxiety from. <laughs> Cooking with Cam, I can see the series. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think it'd be delightful. The yeah. Things We Do for Love by yes, Cameron Poitras. Absolutely. Jeff Braun. Cam, my girlfriend's also a uh, vegan, so I'll meet you in the back alley for a steak sometime. <laughs> we're going to get che- we're going out for cheeseburgers, I'm telling you that, Braun. <laughs> and I, I I and she's actually given me a couple of like disturbingly simple recipes because she knows what my cooking ability is. So maybe this might help you, Cam. Uh one thing is simply lentil tacos, and that's just a can of lentils instead of a a thing of ground beef in there and they taste pretty good she goes do you like them i go yeah she's like do you like them better than regular tacos i go no <laughs> that's always the, that's always the answer no <laughs> yeah and another one also involving uh taco powder i i just i call it taco rice and it's just uh you cook up some whole grain brown rice throw in some black beans and throw in a little pouch of the taco powder mix it all up put some peppers in there or something like that whatever other veggies you want and that's a that's a good meal right there a can of that will last me for like three days Nice. Who is this Jeff Braun? (laughs) This is a guy. I've been out for burgers with this guy. Nothing can be touching each other. The the sauces all need to be on the side. Who are you? Who are you, Jeff? I don't know. Growing up, I guess. (laughs) Again, Lemur will get you. I think that's what's happening. McNabb, you made, uh, it's La Poutine Week. You made poutine last night? I did, yeah. And I went looking for a homemade gravy recipe. I probably Google new recipes two or three times a week because that's I'm home all the time and honestly I can't tell you how early I like my husband will be getting ready for work I'll be like what do you want to do for supper tonight and he's like it's 6 20 a.m I'm like yeah no I know but like that's all I've got to think about all day long like beyond a couple of things to get done around the house like this is what I'm focused on and so I've gone through many, many things. My sister left me these two appliances uh, when she moved overseas because they didn't work for the electrical output there. And so I had this Instapot and a Vitamixer, whatever, you know, for soups and stuff on my shelf for a year. Pandemic hit, pulled those out. We're using them all the time, looking up different recipes, uh, cauliflower curried soup, all uh, different Mexican fried rice. I've, I've been liking it, but I do hate how recipes are listed on websites now it's like a full story with ninety-seven thousand pictures about who they are and like this mexican recipe comes from my years in mexico when my <laughs> husband and i traveled through the land mexican rice is made from a variety of herbs and spices. like shut up and give me the list like just, so i'm madly scrolling down the bus so that happened last night with my poutine gravy i was looking for a different kind of gravy i was like just get to the point don't tell me how to pronounce it's actually poutine in in montreal she had like a pronouncer in the recipe and I was like get lost and just tell me what goes in this gravy so I've been liking the cooking the recipe stories can get lost 
There. <laughs> now I'm angry. Cam, we don't are we say shut up. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, McNabb. Text us your recipes at 204-780-6868. If you learned a new recipe during the pandemic, share it with us. 204-780-6868. It's approaching. It kind of hit me yesterday. Oh, it's February. That means I will uh, be getting a T4, hopefully by the end of the month, but usually I think it comes in the first week of March. But yeah, tax time is is coming, whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You don't have to file your return, Brett, until April 30th, and so it might seem like a long way off, but with all these different financial programs that were offered over the past year, there's millions of Canadians thinking about what they need to do to prepare. So you might be a small business that needs to claim different programs you accessed. If you collected CERB, you might have to pay some of that back. If you're working from home, you could actually get some money back. And so we've got lots of questions. And to help answer some of them, we're joined by Cindy Polikowicz, who's a CPA, CA, and partner at uh, MNP. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. Thanks for taking the time to be with us so early to talk about something that's uh, so serious for so many of us. I want to start with the working from home because two years ago, only 13% of Canadians were working from home and then that pandemic hit. And by March of last year, almost half of Canada, 40% were working remotely. So what should we know as we head into tax season? What can we claim or what options should we be looking for? Oh, for sure. So if you are an employee and receive a T4, uh, previously you really couldn't claim much for... um, home office expenses unless there was a form filled out by your employer and you were required to um, purchase and and, uh, supply your own office supplies, etc. But this year, uh, the government has made things a little bit easier since many of us have been working from home. Um, What it is, there's two different options you can claim and uh, you can use a temporary flat method or the detailed method. So option one, Actually, under both options, the requirement is that you've had to be at home um, for at least four weeks consecutively and worked from home at least 50% of that time. So under the option one, the temporary flat method, you can uh, claim $2 per day for every day that you did work at home in 2020. Um, and that's not a credit. It's a, a direct deduction against your your income and then option two is the detailed method where you can actually uh, accumulate all of your home office expenses which includes um, an allocation of um, things like your your hydro your um, uh, anything to do with your home prorated for your office space um, and as well as office supplies etc but you need to keep receipts and there's some calculations that, that uh, come into play for that. So definitely the temporary flat method is the easiest method. You really don't have to uh, retain any documentation or submit anything. But for the detailed method, it, it is a bit more involved. Um, but it may also um, get you some better deductions. So you might want to try doing the calculation and see uh, which works better. And CRA, on their website, they have like a, a facts page and and they sort of walk through all the deductions you can take. And it's actually pretty user-friendly. I was, I was on there just looking at it. Um, and then you'll want to complete a T777S is the form to, to do this claim. So, Cindy, it's not necessary then. I, the entire time you were walking us through there, I'm thinking, oh, boy, if I'm going to go the, the route of trying to calculate my expenses with regard to my home office, it might be better for me to get a, a tax professional to help me out. But CRA, it sounds as though they're, they're doing what they can in order for you to not necessarily have to go that way based on what you're saying. Exactly, because I think the average T-slipped employee, you know, someone getting a T-4, um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to, to have your taxes done by a professional, and, and certainly this might be the year to do that. Um, but, you know, if you are a DIYer, as many of us are, um, you know, the, the CRA's website has put out um, some good information on, you know, FAQs, just, uh, just walking through, but certainly... You know, it, it is best to, to have a tax professional as this is what we do. <laughs> if someone collected CERB, how much will they have to pay back? Well, that depends. Um, if 
they actually didn't have any other income during the period that they collected CERB, um, and then they get to keep that. But many people don't realize that that's actually taxable income. So with uh, EI, previously, they'll actually have a, a tax withholding. Uh, for CERB, they really just, they knew Canadians needed help um, right away, so they just gave the full gross amount um, of $2,000 payments. Um, but yes, you will be reporting that as income on your taxes. So uh, depending on the tax bracket you're in, there will be taxes owing on that. Cindy, before we let you go, we just have about 30 seconds. Are you expecting this year to be busier than others in years past? I know oh you God. mostly, yeah. <laughs> Since the government programs rolled out, we've been helping so many small business owners trying to take advantage of all the government programs, um, you know, the wage subsidies, the uh, SIBO loans, et cetera. So we're really just doing all we can to to try and help our clients because it's it's been confusing for, for a lot of them. So. Cindy Polikowicz, a CPA, CA, and partner at MNP, joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk taxes. Cindy, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is time to continue our Global News Health Series on mental health during COVID-19. It's a two-week series, Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week, same next week. On 680 CJOB and our sibling stations right across the country. Yeah, so on Monday we talked about social isolation and suicide prevention. Friday we're going to tackle teen mental health, which of course is an important topic for so many parents. And then next week we'll look at exercise and stress, mental illness and addiction, and and so much more, Greg. But today, a different topic. Staying away from people during the lockdown It may have nothing to do with whether or not you're a social butterfly. In fact, the urge to gather can be traced back long before our time. Global's Tristan Field-Jones explains. Does this sound familiar? It's been a little depressing this year. I think I've let COVID get to us all. We're going to Skype ourselves having a great supper. We're going to include our friends and our family and do the best we can. I'm sure a lot of seniors or people living alone can go and join a family but they can't so we're sitting here by ourselves we have spent months away from each other in person on the surface it seems quite simple stay home and avoid close contacts but why is this so difficult why are we constantly battling the urge to meet with people it turns out being forced to isolate for extended periods of time doesn't just go against societal norms, it contradicts the very nature that defines human beings. In essence, by avoiding people, you are fighting your own DNA, hardwired by millions of years of evolution. Mariana Roxendick is a biological anthropologist at the University of Winnipeg who studies human evolution. We are not just social animals, but we are extreme cooperators. She says our social interdependence can be traced back to our primate ancestors, even before humans walked the earth. With the exception of orangutans, primates always live in groups. And they always navigate complex groups because there is lots of um, social interactions and uh, positioning and signaling and all sorts of things that happen in a primate group. And so humans are just an extreme primate in that sense. Roxendick says these gatherings were crucial for developing intelligence. The size of the group and navigation of these social contacts, you know, who do you talk to, who do you not talk to, who do you hug, who do you not hug, actually has a much more positive correlation with brain size. And our brain developed in response to these complex social networks. She points to an astonishing example of early social behavior dating back 1.8 million years. An ancient human skull discovered in the country of Georgia appeared to have lost most of its teeth, a death sentence for any other creature. But in this case... They survived for quite some time after they have lost almost all of their teeth. So this is remarkable. They did take care of their elderly. And that means that there was a value associated with the old person in the group. 
According to Roxendick, this cooperation was essential when hunter-gatherers were taking down large prey. As a single human, you cannot actually go out and, sh- and kill an elephant or a mammoth. But as a group of humans, you're actually quite capable of uh, you know, figuring out uh, who goes first, who goes next, who's most likely to succeed. You also know how to support your fellow creature when they are in the position of danger. This behavior remained crucial as we built farms, settled the first towns, and eventually established civilizations. Anything made by humans is the result of intricate cooperation no other species has achieved. And that's thanks to the interaction between our ancestors millions of years ago. So when you look back at history, it's no wonder staying home and avoiding other people for a long time can be damaging to your mental health. But how do you know if the isolation is getting to you? Clinical psychologist Raymond Abdulrahman says a lack of drive or generally being disinterested are key indications that your well-being is taking a hit. It can also happen that we find ourselves eating more, that our sleep is disrupted, we're sleeping a lot more or a lot less, we might become increasingly agitated. So sometimes the the difficulty is physical. We have more pains and aches, and people don't think about that as tied to mental health, but it is. According to Abdulrahman, the best way to cope with isolation is to reach out. A phone call or even a text message can do a lot of good. Connect with other people frivolously. There's no, it's not an empty calorie. Just please, by all means, engage with other people as much as possible, and that can do a lot. Talk about the fact that you feel lonely, you're tired, because you know the likelihood is the rest of the people that you know are probably feeling that way too. And if we don't talk about it, it creates a false sense of shame around it. And that makes it harder for us to address the problem. Mariana Roxendick also believes interacting with people is essential, even during a pandemic. She says if we somehow stopped being social, humans would be unrecognizable as a species. I don't really know that I would ever (laughs) consider that humans can become solitary animals. We are so hardwired for communication. For the 2021 Health Series, I'm Tristan Field-Jones. And Tristan mentioned Dr. Raman Abdurrahman. He will join us for more on this at 8.45 after our weekly Wednesday visit with Hal Anderson. But there it is, Greg, fighting our DNA by staying home. And if it feels as though it's instinctual, that's because it is. It's a part of who we are. And you mentioned off the top, Carolyn Klassen, another one of our our friends here at 680 CJOB on with Hal Anderson on Thursday afternoons. And, and Loren, she always talks about, about us being wired for connection. And uh, what I liked uh, about Dr. Abdulrahman's uh, uh, suggestion there is with regard to talking about if you're feeling lonely and to admit that you are as opposed to pretending that you're not and the value that that might have in terms of you coming to grips with what, what you're feeling and, and that emotion, that disconnection you might be experiencing. Yeah, and, and also just the idea that you don't have to be alone to feel lonely. I don't want to quote Bon Jovi here because I think that goes into <laughs> one of his songs or his lyrics, but that, you know, there's been there's been so much about the idea, okay, well, you know, I, I've at least been around, being able to be around these people or that person, but there still can be that feeling at times of being like, but I, you know, I, I need more. I, I want more. I need to connect with this person and that. And I think I, 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 for me personally, the hardest part has just been not knowing when those moments are going to get to happen. When will I get to see so-and-so? When will I get to hug my grandma? When will I finally get to travel to see my family who I haven't now? It'll be feel like two years by the time I've seen some of them or maybe three, right? Like it's it, the unknown, I think, heightens that anxiety of not being able to be with the people that we know and love. I'd like to go on a date. Ugh. I'd like to hear about your dates. I miss those days. <laughs> Give me a random story, Brett. You don't want to know, Loren. All right. <laughs> That's right. There is a story involving a, a late night hot tub rendezvous. That's about all I can really share about that one. But uh, yeah, I need another late night hot tub rendezvous. <laughs> I need to hear about it the next day. This is this is such human nature to ask all those questions. How did it go? Well, stayed home last night and stared at my TV. That's how it went. Like. Well, when you do any research about how much of our communication is gossip or non-news related or just 
chitter chatter, yimmer yammer about the things that are not work related, things that are not super serious. Uh, you realize that that's a great deal of the way we interact and the stories that we share. It's not always about COVID-19 or what's going on in news or the most serious stories of the day. A lot of it is a, a lot of BS and just, you know, shooting the bull. And and we miss <laughs> that. And and what did you say about the water cooler talk the other day, Brett? The water cooler talk that a lot of us thrive on has been shut down effectively yeah yeah that's right i think even technically in our kitchen where the water cooler resides we're are we even supposed to have more than one person in there at a time no sir <laughs> so it, i just walked by that sign that says no more than one at a time and go why in. go in what's you that know? the whole reason to go into that room was to see who's in there and bother right? them while they were having lunch <laughs> oh what are you doing oh what are you eating that looks good what'd you, you do last that? night what'd you do last night can i just eat my lunch and silence not anymore <laughs> i'm gonna natter away at you when this comes back i'm gonna ruin all of your lunches did you hear what McNabb did over the weekend <laughs> <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. If you are having trouble staying away from people during lockdown, it may have nothing to do with whether or not you're a social butterfly. About an hour ago, Tristan Field-Jones shared with us a piece on how we are basically hardwired to spend time together. It is pretty much in our DNA. So for more on this, we're joined by Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, a psychologist with Clinic Psychology, Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Raymond, how are you, sir? Good. How are you, sir? We are doing very well. And it's actually kind of, uh, it was sort of helpful to learn that we're fighting against our very nature. Because sometimes I think, you know, if you want to be around people, you feel guilty for wanting to to break the rules and go see somebody. Yeah, very much so. I I think the restrictions, though needed, are ultimately asking us to do something that's that's against actually our best psychological interest. Being around people is actually a healthy thing. Uh, Social support builds psychological resilience, makes us feel better, fights depression. And so, though it's necessary, it is ultimately something that's very hard to do because it's against what helps us feel better. Often when we're thinking about that connection, it's a connection with regard to conversation or just being in a room with one another. But tell us about the power of touch Raymond, if you wouldn't mind, and just this whole idea, you know, of anticipating. I, I can, I'm old enough uh, and young enough at the same time to remember what it was like to think about holding somebody's hand for the first time and, and what that was like. Just, just talk about the, the, the different parts of the body that that affects for us and, and what it brings to us in terms of joy. Well, it's more than just touch. I mean, it's the different ways that we can share and show affection. And, and when we're around people, there's a lot of nonverbal ways that we can demonstrate that we care about people. And I think this whole pandemic and the restrictions really highlight how dependent we are on each other and how important, like even the annoying people at work that people don't want to see, how important they are and the important role that those people play in our lives. And the variety of interactions and emotions and types of relationships that we have are so critical to each other. So uh, to me, it, it's more about that. And but I also think it points to what, what I think we need to focus on, where we've previously relied on structures like work or, you know, obligated social gatherings to connect with other people. Now we have to work for it. Like, we have to be super creative to find ways to connect with people. And, and I mean, Zoom is certainly a nice way, or these online meetings are certain ways. But we're not getting that same engagement. A lot of the nonverbals, be it touch or facial expression, we're not getting that. Um, and even health providers will often talk now about how their job doesn't, like, it, it's harder to do it online. You know, whether physicians are doing an online consult or psychologists are seeing clients online, like, that, we can do that work and it works, but it's actually harder on us. And there's that, there's that piece missing, that face-to-face engagement with people. Yeah, and in fact, I think when the pandemic started, Raymond, there were different studies and conversations about the touch starvation effect. So yeah. there's the physical contact, there's the face to face. And then as Greg mentioned, there's just even that, that, you know, the, the cuddle hormone, I think it's been called, right? Yeah. You release that Oxycontin in your brain when, when you've yeah. been touched. And so 
while we wait to have those moments again, you know, some of us are lucky enough to be with our partners. Some of us aren't. Uh, there's, you know, people who live alone, they're seniors, they're elderly, and, and we're all craving that, that touch. Is there a replacement for it? Or is this about now taking the time to have that conversation of what we do after we get through this and creating those, those spaces that allow us to have um, positive physical contact, if you will? Well, I think it's about both, you know, working with our second best option now, but then also making sure we don't caught, get caught up in, in bad habits of staying away from people. Because, uh, you know, as, as and when restrictions loosen, uh, some people may get stuck in old patterns. And then we might not realize why is it that we don't feel so good. And it, it is actually that engagement with people. And, and even those of us who are, you know, quote unquote, lucky enough, so to speak, to be with partners or family, people are feeling that where too. And it's it's not just about the ability to connect with one person, but with a variety of people. And so many people who are in relationships are also feeling a strain because while they may love and care for their partner, to have that variety and to have the responsibilities, social responsibilities met by different people is missing. You talked about getting stuck in old habits uh, on, on set. This past Saturday, I went shopping for the first time in a couple of months and just browsed. I mean, I had something specific I went there for, but while I was there, I just kind of wandered around and it felt great. But before I left on Saturday afternoon, I almost talked myself out of it. And I, I'm not really sure why. I think I've just gotten so used to sitting at home doing nothing. I don't know if it was anxiety. I don't know if I was just being lazy. But I, the point is, I got up and I went out. If somebody is having a hard time pushing themselves to, to go out, whether it's too you know, a social interaction of some sort, or just to to get out and do something that has been otherwise out of their comfort zone for a few months. Do you have any tips on how to give give oneself a nudge out the door? We'll start with a small commitment. I think sometimes we expect ourselves to be functioning at the same level that we did pre-pandemic or pre-lockdown. And getting back to behaviors sometimes is a gradual thing that takes time. So if you can commit to a small thing that's slightly above your energy level, by the time you get out, you're going to find, if you do that repeatedly and in a single instance, your energy and motivation levels will gradually increase. As you, as you found, Brett, when you went out, you know, you probably, it, the energy kind of took over. And then you find yourself, you had the motivation to stay and browse and spend probably more time outside than you might have anticipated. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, I mean, it felt great. I was happy that one of our listeners expressed the same thing. You know, they, they went out shopping just to, for something to do, and it felt like they had gotten out of prison, right? And, you know, once yeah. I got there, it, it felt nice. It just felt nice to feel kind of normal again. Absolutely. As normal as we can be. So how do we, how, how do we fight that whole notion of, you know, we see it in uh, this business where we get into a communication style, not necessarily even a rut, but it's a pattern where we're more comfortable, say, with text messaging than we are with email or more comfortable with email yeah. than we are with a phone call. Do, could we use that same strategy you just outlined with Brett in terms of uh, of trying to work ourselves towards uh, having those different types of conversations, whether they be over Zoom or at some point at a distance, a face-to-face, because I think a lot of people have been really leaning on the digital side of their interaction with, with certain aspects and, and facets of their of their personal and their work life. Yeah, we absolutely use the same strategy. We have to remember that, you know, the digital means of communication was never the healthiest. It was a crutch. I mean, I at one point I was making a clear recommendation to use more screen time if it allowed you to connect more with people, but it is a crutch. Now, human beings are creatures of habit. So even when something is not good for us, if we are continuing to do it, we'll get stuck doing it and we just won't realize why it's having a negative impact. So we have to rely upon what we know is healthy for us, and that is more engagement face-to-face whenever possible. So gradually pushing yourself out of that, you know, so to speak, habit zone uh, can allow us to get back to the things that were healthier for us at one point in time. I, I do believe that, that this whole thing has allowed us, or at least will force us to be more mindful. You know, we can't just be complacent about how we engage with people. We need to be mindful of the fact that I do need people time, and I can't just come home from work, you know, and stay in my place. We do need to force ourselves to be around people because there's a great value in the connection that we have with each other, even in the less important relationships. 
What do you say to the person out there, Raymond, who's like, no, I don't agree. I'm I'm an introvert and I don't need people and I've liked this and this mm-hmm. is working for me and I'm you know I, I don't I don't buy into this whole hardwired for social connection because there's that facet of the population too that have said you know for the most part they haven't minded some things because they might have those natural tendencies to be more introverted. You know, I'm an extroverted introvert. Like most people don't know that. They, like I do need my time alone. But even people who might consider themselves to be introverts do still need some level of human contact. But there's also a flip side of all of this. The words introverts and extroverts have really been taken over in the media, but there is a concept of social anxiety. And for some people, it's not that they're introverts. It's that they have a discomfort or anxiety connecting with other people because they're, fear, they're fearful of negative evaluation or don't want to get hurt. And in that case, the word introvert just, it, I think, is a worse crutch. It, it allows people to just stay with what they're doing without making positive changes in their life. And so there's one thing to be introverted to say that you do need that time to recuperate. But to say introversion means that you don't want to be around people no, that's not what introversion is. You know, all of us at some point in time benefit from the company of other people. Uh, some of us more and some of us less. But we want to make sure that clinical issues like social anxiety are not being excused. And that's going to create more problems with mental health. So it's always good to push our boundaries a little bit, even if even if we are true introverts. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman joining us live on 680 CJOB from Clinic Psychology, Manitoba. Raymond, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. For this half hour, we want to talk about how one of the challenges of this pandemic is the lack of routine. And we know important, or just how important sleep is for our health. And I am guilty as charged. My sleep pattern is a personal disaster. I am just completely useless now at getting to bed at a proper time. I fell asleep yesterday on the couch from, I don't think, 7 p.m. to, I don't know, 11.30 yesterday. I woke up so disoriented. So uh, I clearly am not making my sleep a priority. How many of us, Greg, do you think are making it a priority? Well, I don't know. I, I would ask you the question, uh, how's that working out for you? To channel my inner Dr. Phil, our next guest will tell us that it should be a priority for everyone, including you, Loren, including you, Brett, Dr. Kirsten Worth with Worth Behavior Health Services is here to tell us about a virtual seminar happening tonight. Good morning, Kirsten. Morning. How's it going? We're doing well. Now, the presentation is entitled Getting Your Child to Go to Sleep and Stay Asleep, but I feel as though all three of us could benefit from anything which helps us get to sleep and stay asleep. Overall, how many of us underestimate the power of sleep? Um, I, I don't have any firm numbers for you on that, but I would say like 95% of the people that I talk to um, underestimate how much sleep that we need and how much sleep kids need. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've looked on those charts, right? You go online and it tells you what you need and what you can get by with and what kids should have. And, and no one in the family is hitting those numbers, whether it be 10 hours or 12 hours or 15 or whatever it is for a newborn. And I think when it comes to our kids, is it magnified because of just how their little bodies are working and growing? Yeah, well, I mean, all of the side effects of sleep, which are things like inattention, irritability, general fatigue, uh, difficulty, you know, with cognitive skills, like those are all just kind of general side effects of lack of sleep. And so we definitely all have those and they, those, those effects on behavior are definitely amplified for little kids. And are there certain age groups of kids uh, who, who absolutely need more sleep than, than like a typical adult? Like I think is it teenagers who, who generally require more uh, sleep than an adult? All kids generally require more sleep than adults, for sure. Um, but people do tend to underestimate how much sleep, you know, that that kids need. And so by the time they hit teenagers, when they're going through, and I'm not a neuroscientist, case, so I'm going to do a poor job of, of really explaining this. But, but as teenagers, they're going through like a, a key brain development period where where certain, you know, brain cells are being weeded out and things like that. And so it's just more obvious that they need more sleep than what they're getting. And they're also going through a period of more, you know, independence and more decision making about when to go to sleep. So it seems like they 
need a lot more sleep, but it's just because they're spending too many nights staying up late. So one of the rules of thumb when uh, our babies came home from the hospital was sleep when they sleep. Well, if they're not sleeping, that means that mom and or dad are not sleeping. So maybe give us some hints that that might show up in this seminar tonight. Maybe one thing that that will tantalize people to want to learn more about getting our younger kids to sleep and, and helping them get to sleep, Kirsten. Well, just in terms of enhancing, you know, a parent's motivation to work on that, the the better your kids are sleeping, the more free time and free kid time that you have to yourself in the evening. So that's that's one big thing. <laughs> and then the better sleep, you, you know, the more well-rested you are. And then just overall, the, the better your family is going to function at a unit and the happier that you'll be as a family. So are there three key tips to at least try as we approach bedtime tonight, Kirsten? Um, well, or five okay, one, or two tips, whatever, <laughs> whatever your list might sure, do. Yeah, there's there's some general, you know, general sleep hygiene, we call it, or, you know, what good habits that you should have for sleep. And one is to have a good bedtime routine. That's about 30 to 60 minutes before bed that you follow consistently. Um, limit screen time. So no screen time, at least an hour before bed. And, um, and that's, you know, not just because of what watching might be doing to excite you or whatever, but it's because the actual screen uh, stops our melatonin from producing because it simulates kind of a daytime thing. And, um, and so keeping your environment more like calm and dim and following that routine is a really good practice. Um, and staying away from the screens, and I'm completely drawing a blank on my other good. <laughs> well, how do you get the kids away from the screens? They always have one more level to go. Or they just need five more minutes. Just come on, like I just, I need, I just, I need a little more time. How do we get past that well, barrier first? That that could be a whole other seminar, honestly. But um, but I would say, you know, if you have a routine and you're really consistent with following it, kids learn to fall in line. So if you know, the cutoff time for whatever they're doing is going to be 7 p.m., then it's 7 p.m. and, you know, don't have any leeway with that. Or or maybe you will always have, okay, it's a five-minute warning, guys, finish whatever you're doing in the next five minutes, and then literally it's cut off. The power supply is cut off or the Wi-Fi is cut off or or whatever else, and they might protest at first, but if that's just the way that it is, that's the way that it is and they get used to it and it's part of their routine. And sorry, how much sleep, like in terms of the number of hours, how much sleep should kids be getting? So it, it really depends on their age. Um, so, and if they still nap, like if they're really little and if they still nap, then obviously it's a lot more cause it could be more like 15 hours, like you guys were saying, but on average, um, you know, elementary school kids need probably closer to 12 hours of sleep per night. And they really don't start needing less until they're, you know, more like 12 or 13. And it's not even that much less. You know, they maybe could get away with 10 to 11 hours by that time. And that really depends on on the kid and how it affects their functioning. But um, but really, they need a good 10 hours of sleep as they are teenagers, and some kids need more. Um, but most don't really get by that well on less. How do we uh, enroll? How do we get involved tonight? How do we hear your wisdom online, Kirsten? <laughs> Um, it's a it's a Zoom talk and it's hosted by the Manitoba Psychological Society because it's Psychology Month, and so in celebration of that, there's a series of talks that are free and open to the public. So if you just go to um, mps.ca, that's the Manitoba Psychological Society website, they have a list of the events, and you can click on the link to uh, get to the Zoom link. Dr. Kirsten Worth, Worth Behavioral Health Services, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Worth, thank you for the time as always. Thanks a lot for having me. 10 hours, 11 hours, 12 hours. When I was a teenager, I could sleep 12 hours without breaking a sweat. No problem. Now, every so often I will try. I'll go to bed like at a decent time on, on a Friday night and I'll say, okay, I got nothing to do tomorrow. I'm just going to sleep until I wake up and hope. And I actually try to sleep, to get that 10, 11 hours. And then I wake up feeling refreshed and I, ah, what time is it? It's, uh, oh, it's a, I've only been asleep for six hours. So, yeah, I just can't do it anymore.
That's a terrible feeling to think that six hours is your refreshed. Yeah. You know, I, I'm excited when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, man, that was like five straight hours, a solid five. Like <laughs> the benchmark is when she's talking about how much sleep we need. I'm like, how does half that sound? <laughs> <laughs> and what's actually funny now is when I do sleep for more than six or seven hours, I, I feel like I can't function. Like I'm too. You're, I'm, you're over. No, yeah, like you've I'm, had too much sleep. Yeah, like I'm just I'm I'm groggy and slow, and I'm not. So there are some di- times where when I come in and I've got had no sleep, I seem like I, I feel like I function better. That doesn't make sense, and I'm sure a doctor will tell me I need help. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Credit Aid. Helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca. Call 204-987-6890. And the question is, income tax season is almost upon us. And this year, things could be a lot more complicated for many of us. Who does your taxes? So far, 60% say, I hire a professional. 20% say I do, and 20% say a family member or friend. I would have fallen into that in uh, my younger years. My mom always did my taxes, but now I just, yeah, she was the bookkeeper of the house, and I was more than thrilled (laughs) to let her do them. I bet we all need an accountant and a mechanic as friends. I'm going to go out and just randomly befriend some. I almost phoned Cindy back, our MNP tax expert at 7, and just said, hey, <laughs> let me have a coffee. What are you and doing then, on Saturday? Do you want to make Saturday. soup? Make Let's make soup. soup. And then we could do, ta- I don't know, we could, what could we do after? Watch the game or do some taxes? Or, you know, it's up to you. <laughs> Whatever works. That sounds like a brilliant plan. You are an evil genius, Loren McNabb. <laughs> By the way, my car's been making this weird noise. Do you know anything <laughs> about alternator belts? No. Well, what is it they say? There are only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Well, there's a third thing that you can count on and that it's going to get cold in Winnipeg in the winter. But uh, Manitoba Merv says, hold on, early spring. David Phillips, Environment Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Phillips, good morning to you, sir. Hey, good morning. I was kind of confused by Manitoba Merv. I thought he said that he did see his shadow and there would be six more weeks of winter. Isn't that sort of a contradiction? He did, did not he see, see a shadow. shadow or not? He did not. See oh, a he shadow. did not. Okay. Okay. Well, then he didn't see his shadow. Then, then springs around the corner. Is that what he said? That's what he said. But what do you okay. say? Okay. Well, I, I go by you know my sense is Balzac Billy out in Alberta. He said it would it well, winter would carry on and and a lot of the groundhogs here in eastern Canada said that spring is just around the corner and. You know, guys, I think they have it right. I think we, we see some colder colder winter conditions coming in the west, and and uh, f- uh, after a, a little bit of a coolness here in the east, it's going to get balmy again. So my sense, the groundhog may be right this year, but, hey, I, I think if, uh, if Manitoba Merv said that, um, hey, winter was uh, going to carry on for six more weeks, you know, guys, I take that in a heartbeat. If you told me that winter would be over by March the 15th, hey, in Winnipeg, that, that would be good news because you know how cruel April can be and, and late March. So uh, my sense is it's, it's good news no matter what you think. It's a really good point. Now, we're looking at the, at the next several days here. Yeah. So recency bias with these things is always a oh. potential issue. We've had such a great run of beautiful yeah. oh. weather. But my goodness, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. No. I made the comment, David, that Sunday we've got the overnight low going into Monday morning, minus 34. The high Sunday, minus 26. I think that sounds like a really good Super Bowl score <laughs> for Sunday. So... The, 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 oh yeah, you're right. I mean, you add that to another figure. If you get moderate winds, it'd be a minus 50 wind chill. So it, uh, you know, clearly, you know, you're right. You, you knew this was coming. We've had this long stretch of bombiness. My gosh, the uh, number of days, I think the real statistic for me is number of days below minus 20. That's, that's, that's not a brutal day on, in Winnipeg, but hey, it's a cold day. And uh, you've had about 13 of those. You normally would have 
have had 37 by now. So really, it has been missing in action. November, December, January, the warmest afternoon on record, over 120 years of record. So you knew it was coming to an end. We've had a few, a week ago, there were a few little cold days, but they were they were short-lived. But I think what's going to be different about this cold is that, hey, it's going to have a little bit of legs to it. I mean, about 10 days of temperatures that are going to get down, that are going to be unseasonably cool. And it's going to make it feel colder because it has been so balmy. And, um, but, you know, I mean, it's, uh, and the irony, guys, is that this, this, the warmest place is going to be up near the North Pole. So if you want it warm, don't go to Portage in Maine, but head up to the far north. It's going to be temperatures up there are going to be, well, not not above freezing, but think about it, Iqaluit and Pond Inlet of highs of minus 4, where you guys are going to be fighting to get temperatures higher than minus 26 in the afternoon. But it's something that's going to engulf all of North America. Every state apparently is going to be colder than, uh, than normal. Even Hawaii is going to be colder than normal, and where the Super Bowl will be, yeah, it's also going to be colder than they normally would uh, would have it. So we're in for this polar vortex. It's got uh, some some duration to it, and then after that, um, I think things are going to turn more seasonable. You know, I think misery likes company, so I'm happy to hear that everyone else might yes. have to deal with this too, David. But one of the questions that's been kicking around is, you know, we've been saying for months, really, where is winter? So yeah. it looks like we'll get a taste of it this month with the cold. But what about snow? There's just been so very little of it this year as well. Precipitation has been lacking on all fronts for months now. You know, Lorraine, you're right, because, you know, there's a, there's a thing in, in weather. I mean, is it ever too cold to snow? And, and the answer is no. But the thing is, if it's mild, you tend to get more snow because the atmosphere has more, like a, a, warm, a milder air has more moisture. So when it does bump into the cold air, you get the snow. So, But really, in, um, uh, in uh, uh, the, the Winnipeg area, you've had, I think, in total about 62 centimeters of snow. I mean, much of that came in. In, uh, uh, early in the uh, season in October and, and long gone, where last year at this time you had twice that amount, you say. So my, my sense is you're right. I mean, it's really been a shocker that the fact that it's been not even, a, has it not feeling like winter in Winnipeg? It's not looking like Winnipeg uh, uh, winter. So um, although there is clearly snow on the ground, and there has been, but it's not just been adding to it and piling up. And, uh, and, and so that maybe augurs well for the flood season. Maybe there won't be a, a, a much of a flood season if you can get rid of the snow you have in kind of a, a gentle kind of easy kind of way. But hey, uh, the models seem to suggest from from mid-February to mid-March we see seasonable temperatures, and, and I take that uh, clearly over colder than normal. We see colder than normal uh, farther west in Edmonton and Calgary and Saskatoon, places like that. But in Manitoba, we see it sort of like in, in between, in between the cold of the far west and the mild to the east. So, hey, that puts it in kind of the normal seasonable range. And we know the days are getting longer, three minutes a, uh, a day, every day. And we know that, hey, March, uh, you know, uh, end of February, March is it's about seven degrees warmer than it is in, uh, in the end of January. So, hey, things are looking up, but hey, you've got to endure this little bit of cold that's coming your way. David Phillips, Senior Climatologist, Environment Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. <laughs> Any closing I thoughts, Lauren? I wanted to skip past this and just ask what's summer looking like. Can we just skip back? <laughs> Can we just go past spring? And- we, we worry about summer before the winter's even over. <laughs> we want payback. But, you know, the thing is, I mean, Lauren, you think, well, maybe um, the fact that it's been so balmy and you're going to have this little 10-day cold period, well, you know, I, I would think that, uh, that's, uh, that that's been pretty good news so far. But, hey, I looked at the, the models for September. There's a lot of time uh, for the summer, a lot of time. Can can go between then and now. So hey, I think um, precipitation is down a little bit. I think that's worrying a few farmers, but maybe it's good for the flood season. But it's looking like it's going to be late spring, early summer, warmer than normal. But uh, hey, um, it's a lot of time to change our minds, and we always do before we get there. All right, David Phillips, Environment Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you as always, sir. You're so welcome, guys. Bye bye now. Yeah, this this winter for me has been wonderful but i don't do any any 
winter activities other than go for a walk. I don't, uh, you know, go snowmobiling or skiing or anything like that. So anybody who looks forward to the winter activities and like counts on the snow, uh, this winter's probably been lousy. I mean, Loren, you've pointed out that you would like to see a bit more snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably because I would like, I know you could like to go tobogganing with your kids sometimes. Yeah, the hills are getting a little rough. Like you can, I, we landed on a stone the other day that would have normally been covered with some snow. So I'm, you know, it'd be nice to have a bit more of that. I mentioned we had these snowshoes. We've had them for a couple of years now and only used them a handful of times because it doesn't feel like there's that much snow to go through. And we tried downhill skiing earlier um, this year, and the snow, the hill was great, but it would be great with more snow, right? More runs can open in that kind of thing. So yeah, I could use if winter's sticking around, I could use some more snow. And Greg, uh, lots of. People count on the snow for business, right? No, for, the, for their livelihood. That's right. Uh, you've got people that clear snow for a living. That's how they keep their big machines busy. Uh, the ones that work on uh, road and highway construction in the summertime. In the wintertime, they're clearing and hauling snow. I was out McPhillips uh, near the uh, north end snow dump, and normally that thing is piled High, high, high to a point where it probably shows up on Google Earth or Google Maps as a as a mountain. Uh, yeah, there's barely any snow out there, of course. And Loren, when you asked David Phillips about, okay, so we've had this awesome winter. Now, what about summer? I, I really <laughs> felt like I had finished a renovation project and not even had five seconds to admire yep. it. And then had you go, so... Um, when are you gonna get the uh, when are you getting the bathroom done? Yeah, well, when are you, Greg? Why aren't you getting the bathroom done? Look, uh, listen, ne- move on. Got to move on to the next thing. You know, we like praise. We like to bask in the glory of some success, and then we'll move on at our own pace. And I think that uh, David Phillips was trying to tell you, like, hey, just enjoy what we've had for winter. It's not even over yet. There's a whole other. Season, it's called spring before we get oh. to summer. So I had a friend patience, pitch- my friend. Patience. I had a friend send me some pictures from the lake this summer. And uh, after that, that's what I've been thinking about, to be <laughs> honest with you. So, sorry, moving on. All right. I have, I've already explained once this morning that I don't have a lot of patience. And now you're asking me just to go against my DNA. Forget <laughs> hardwired to socialize. I'm hardwired to move on to the next thing. Well, we no gotta- patience. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.